nine, Ayo. 12. Stand by. Woo-hoo. Stand by. Uh, go for stream. Capcom, go. Stream, go. Flight, go. That's always one of my favorite moments in, like, uh, what is it, Apollo 13? Like the, the Apollo pre-launch countdown where uh, all the different engineers in the, the launch control station are calling out. It's badass, man. Man, cool. I haven't seen Apollo 13 since it came out. Dude, it's it holds up. It's a great movie. I Mor- Morgan had never seen it, uh, or if... If she had, she didn't remember seeing it. So we tried to watch it, and like we just, for whatever reason, we couldn't get into it the night we tried to watch it. So we need to try it again because it is a classic. It's a classic. So, it's, it's one of Tom Hanks' best performances. Uh, it's legitimately thrilling and entertaining, and it's made that much better and more immersive by the fact that it actually happened. And right. from what I understand, uh, the way they did the movie is pretty accurate to what actually happened obviously there's some dramatizations but you know the way the oxygen tanks exploded and everything and mm. the way they got them back it was yeah <laughs> it's about as scary a thing as i can imagine yeah yeah no 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 thanks i'm good no, thanks. yeah <laughs> yeah um so how you doing man so it's it's been crazy uh but we're finally ready this week we're taking our first vacation in two and a half years uh, right like a proper and, just you vacation for yeah exactly vacation. and not just traveling and then oh we're gonna go for work and then we're gonna do this thing while we're out there kind of thing like a proper vacation so last year tilly and i bought this camper trailer we're really excited about the rving thing and we're gonna take two weeks and just drive out to utah to southern utah and just go to the desert go to moab go to north rim of the grand canyon do all all the all the desert stuff, which I've never seen before. So I'm super excited, and uh, I'm I'm really into the overlanding stuff. I've had a four x four Toyota for 15 years, and for anyone that might be listening or watching this into that stuff, I'm into that stuff. Um, so it's gonna be a good time. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. But what that has meant is that we've been burning the candle at both ends for the last like this month has been nuts. We've launched the new course which is always a ton of work, trying to bank videos up, getting that ready to go because I don't want to... I'm not taking a break from YouTube so the the channel will continue on. I just have banked up some videos so that I can take some time off and the channel will be self-sustaining for a few weeks. So that's been a ton of work, but um, I'm super excited. That's great. Yeah, Morgan and I definitely want to try to take a vacation at some point. So we'll see. But uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been it. What's uh what's up with you? What's been going on this week? Well, I I got I got the COVID. Um Yeah, you got the Rona. I, I think I don't know where I got it, but I'm gonna blame John Mayer uh and myself for not wearing a mask at a at a huge <laughs> classic John Myers, dude. My god. Uh, you know what's funny? Like I keep every time I would uh, cause that um week building up, a lot of people came to the to the novo shop and stuff like people who were in town uh and i would always make the hey you know john myers piece sitting down joke <laughs> and no one knew what i was talking Nobody. about they just stare at me with this horrified look this is <laughs> like, why we need a this is why we need a podcast producer we need to like start doing the podcast in person and we need a podcast producer that we can mm-hmm. We can do the the classic Joe Rogan move of uh Jamie pull that up. Pull oh yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Because this is the moment we need to pull up the classic John Myers in the bear suit at his own concert video. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of the people I was making the joke to were just too young. Mm-hmm. Like they they just missed it. Was but, that 2002 uh, or three when that came out? I don't know. It was it's, it's early internet. Yeah, it was very old. Because um, that was like that was MTV. Yeah. <laughs> so know? for those of you that don't know, there's an MTV bit with John Mayer when he was really first starting to pop off, like 2002, like Body is a Wonderland era. John Mayer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so because that was his big hit, it was his his fan base at the time was mostly like young women. And he was kind of a, a teenage heartthrob. And so he would go around <laughs> at his own shows and dress up in a bear costume and go to the parking lot outside the arena he was playing and interview people. Um, and I, yeah, he would say, are you excited to see John Myers tonight? You guys, and they're like, oh, it's John Mayer. And <laughs> oh, man, it's classic. He did another sketch, too, with um, it wasn't Chappelle. It was. He did some stuff with Ch- uh, Dave Chappelle. Well, yeah, on Chappelle's show, but there yeah. was some other stuff he did. Was was it like Three Six Mafia or some somebody that he he did? He did like an interview on that same thing with like Old Dirty Bastard. Or that something was like. it. ODB. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But anyway, but I Morgan and I got it, and Graham might have got it. We he, we we've tried to give him a test before, but shoving a thing up a child's nose, especially when they're that young, not fun. They, they're not they're not into it. Uh, but I, I just felt like I had like a, like a head cold sort of thing, but Morgan had all the classic symptoms, but I'm over it now and feeling pretty much back to normal, but it's been really hard for me cause I had to stay, had to stay home and yep. there wasn't really a whole lot to do. I yep. did some computer work, but I was wanting to talk about something I got. Uh, before you show me that though, uh-huh. quick shout out to our patrons here in the chat. If you're new here, you can sign up. Well, via our Patreon down in the description box below, you can join us while we are recording live in the Discord. We've got a special Discord chat set up here. Yes. And uh, yeah, shout out to everyone hanging out. Okay. What is what is this? Look at this. Oh, it's not what you thought it was going to be. Oh, that's definitely not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I was ready to be mad. So this is the... Uh, I, I, I forgot to like feature this on the show. Well, I wish you would have said that because I would have got went and grabbed mine before the show. I wanted to fake you out. This uh. is the Yamaha RSS-02T Revstar that they sent me uh, a month or so ago. And yep. this guitar is really great. Um, I, I talked about it like on some live streams uh, on, on my Instagram. And uh, I, I'm... I'm kind of blown away by this guitar and the fact that it's like 900 bucks mm-hmm. uh, is is pretty nutty because the the coolest thing about it with this little five way switch um, for the pickup selector for a two pickup guitar it just like it does a lot of things and because mm-hmm. you it, do you have this one yeah they sent me the same model yeah and it, it man I really like it I think it's way better than the the previous iteration um, as far as like the fit and finish and stuff yeah yeah so I I've spent I have to admit, you know, I've only spent a few minutes with mine because when it showed up was right when we were ramping up to do, you know, all the stuff I was talking about and everything I've been shooting recently, all the guitar stuff I've been playing has been for a video. I haven't really had any time or taken any time to sit and play for myself. Yeah. And so I've not really spent time with my Revstar yet, but yeah, I think you, I mean, I think you should kind of dive into it because um, it was one of those things that every guitar, when I get it, uh, it has to pass the two rock test, which is mm-hmm. like, and, and I, I don't know how, how you feel or how you approach this when you get something new, like what is your like benchmark? 
if it if it works with this, it's going to work, you know, for everything else. And the two rock is so, I mean, high fi, high quality. Uh, there's no there's nowhere to hide. And if you you know, the guitar, if you can deal with the guitar playing through that amp, then I feel like it's a good guitar. And this one just plugged it in, and it felt really right at home. Which is I don't. That's a weird thing to say, I think, but like mm -hmm. when you're used to playing, you know, two, three, four thousand dollar instruments that make you feel super comfortable, and then you plug up something that, for all intents and purposes, is kind of like you know an entry level, yeah, um, or you know middle tier guitar, and it holds its own. I think that speaks to how good it is. And at first, I, I thought the pickups were really bright, but I actually really like it because the tone knob and everything's really usable so that's yeah. how i felt with my casino when i bought my casino a few months ago yeah. right 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 a 700 dollars guitar uh which is not an entry-level guitar well no um, no but yeah. it is it is on the more budget side of the spectrum and it i, I was playing it this week <laughs> and it's still like you know Still blows me away how good that guitar is. I don't. I don't really have like a benchmark. Like when I get a new piece of gear, I don't necessarily have a. All right, it needs to meet this standard, or it needs to go through this amp or this pedal or whatever. I. I think I tend to look at it more like everything has a purpose and a, a sound that it's good at, and it comes down to whether or not I like that sound and would find that tool useful. Um, like I try to keep stuff. Um, that doesn't overlap too much, especially with with guitars. You know, I mm -hmm. I, I have way too many guitars as it is. Like I could yeah. I could I don't want to, <laughs> but I could cut my my herd down in half or two thirds and be totally fine. But um, yeah, I don't I don't do like the oh it's got to it's got to meet this this standard in order to to stick around. It's more so like oh this does a unique thing and I like that. Right. Yeah, and it, I guess. I was just meaning by like the tone and the playability. Cause I, I do like, I, I'm pretty bad. Like I, I definitely have like, I have my benchmarks and, and I want things to live up to that. And I, as I've gotten older, I've tried to see everything in its, uh, you know, for its own merit, like you're saying. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause I'm just using these mainly for my own enjoyment and not to create music most of the time i mean like that the the rev star is cool because it has the pinanis and I, I i currently didn't have a pinani guitar for like testing pedals and and whatnot um so it definitely fills a void there but it's just it's just a good instrument that i i think like what they're doing is is pretty awesome but um but yeah, yeah i like what yamaha's doing with the rev star thing man we've talked about it before but, you know that they were sort of overlooked and i think they're trying to make some real steps to make that brand um, a little more mainstream you know they've got some some younger hipper players picking them up which we can talk about that we can talk about gibson's <sighs> folly again with, with the gene simmons bass uh -huh. um, we, can, we can get into that we'll get into that but i, I like what what yamaha is doing i think they've they've kind of honed in on what revstar is where its place mm -hmm. is in the market you know it's not going to compete with fender gibson prs novo it's kind of its own thing um, and in typical Yamaha fashion, you get a lot of instrument for your money. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of like the, the more budget level entry level, uh, acoustics, the Yamaha acoustics they do, which are like heads right. and shoulders above any other acoustic in that price bracket, that two to three to $500 price bracket. So yeah, Yamaha, the, the acoustic in the acoustic realm, Yamaha, I think like, I don't see him as much as I used to, um, but it's funny, like talking about John Mayer, uh, 
uh, David Ron Harris, he was playing, he had a Yamaha on stage. Yeah. Like, that was the acoustic he was playing. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, hey. But the like, thing about acoustics live is it really, unless you're, you're taking steps like miking up the acoustic on a live stage, which has its own complications, it, in my opinion, doesn't really matter what you're playing on stage because an acoustic pickup, they've made huge strides forward in that in, the, in recent years. Like Fishman has, has done a huge job of making acoustic pickups actually sound halfway decent. But you still don't really get the nuances and subtleties of, of a specific acoustic guitar like you do in a room under a microphone as oh, no. when you're playing it live. So it, it, to me, a, an acoustic for a live show is like, uh, does it stay in tune? Is it robust enough to hold up uh, to traveling on the road? And can mm-hmm. you plug it in? And that's it. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Well, you want to dip a rig here? Yeah, dude. Chop. dude. Look oh. at that. <laughs> so yeah. I avoided anything weird. Yeah. And we're down to just some good old classic guitar stuff. So what we've got here... Is a rig from Mr. Witt Anderson, and he said, "Hell this is, yeah, Witt! <laughs> he this is his recently downsized rig, and his target okay. target tones are to satisfy an, an eclectic mix of classic, hard, and pop rock. So he's got a Murphy Lab SG, which he says surprisingly pushed his telly out of rotation. Dude, uh, on Rick just bought that identical. Did that come from?" CME because uh Rick bought that identical guitar this week, the sister guitar to that one, the the, the Pelham, Pelham Blue. Blue Murphy Lab SG. Super cool. And then uh sitting behind it, you can kind of see is a Les Paul classic. Yeah. Um which it when I zoomed in on the on the photo uh when I was putting it in Photoshop to make a PDF, uh it's it looks like it's like a blue burst, so it's pretty interesting. That's cool. Uh but on the board this is this is such a simple, straightforward setup. He's got the Bino Boost, the uh, Park Fuzz, which uh, Earthquaker used to make, Dusky Augustus, the Cusack Screamer, a Mjolnir, a Wampler Terraform, a Carbon Copy Deluxe, and the Walrus Audio R1, and all of that is going into a Marshall SV20 with the the matching two x twelve greenback loaded cabinet. Let me tell you something right here. All right. <laughs> This is my kind of guitar rig. Mm-hmm. Kalkidas in the chat says boomer rig. You know what? <laughs> it is. And I'm here for it. Because you that it Oop. sounds good. I can I can tell by looking at it that rig sounds good. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, if it sounds totally. good, if it sounds good, it is good. Okay. Um the, I'm gonna those, remember those words when if, we move into <laughs> <laughs> uh with a few with uh, uh some fine print there. Um <laughs> but so that SG. Um, like I said, Rick, we went over and, and did a video at Rick's this week with with Dave and and Rick. We got the three amigos back together, and um, which we haven't done in a while. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Rick just bought one of those, and I have to say, I'm I'm a relatively new convert to the SG, and and I think I I really regret not picking up an SG sooner. I think it might be my favorite. Um, I think I, my, I might even like the SG style more than the 335. Really? Which is, which is big for me. I mean, I'm a massive 335 fan. I love love my 335, but the SG is one of the best guitar designs ever, I think. The weight, the balance, as long as you get one that doesn't neck dive. Mm-hmm. Um, the accessibility to the, to the upper frets. I mean, they're so good. I love SGs. 
and it it's it's kind of like I mean to me it kind of makes sense for you because you like Firebirds and it's I kind like of Firebirds. an in between yeah the Les Paul Firebird sort of vibe. Um, SGs for me I have a harder time playing sitting down just like a Firebird because I feel like it's shifted a little bit to the left right. But standing up and playing I mean like I don't know th- it, there's it's kind of hard to beat an SG but they do have a very specific sound that are that is all their own and it's so cool yeah. It's, it's so very cool. focused. Very sound. focused, very punchy. They're pretty robust. Um, as long as you get one, I've been learning about, you know, the different SGs and what to look for, you know, long neck tenon versus the shorter neck tenon and the stepped heel versus non-stepped heel. Dave was taking me through. I brought my 65 over uh, to mm-hmm. show it to him last week. And um, I got the Dave Honorado seal of approval, Oh, um, which is actually relatively hard to get. <laughs> the number of guitars <laughs> I've shown him over the years where he's just gone like... No, this is crap. This is garbage. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> so it, it does mean something to get that from him. But yeah, man, SGs. Um, and per our discussion, we'll talk about in a second. I think the SG Junior and the SG Special is where Gibson needs to put their focus to kind of get back and start appealing to the younger market. Because I think if if the right bands and the right players start playing the specifically the Junior, it's an affordable guitar. They make it in their USA line. That was one of the ones that they revamped. And I haven't seen them push it or really talk about it at all. In fact, when I made my video, I had to go on their website to make sure. I was like, they do make a USA SG Junior still, right? And they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that they haven't done very well is promote that. Um, right. But anyways, I love that SG. Yeah. Killer. And the Les Paul Classic is like, you know. Les Paul Classics are great. I feel like if you're needing the most simple of uh, standard production line Les Pauls, that's kind of the one to get. Uh, More so from previous years, they they went from being literally just like a classic to kind of being like a modded thing. And then the traditional took over the... uh, It's so convoluted, the history of Les Pauls and all the different permutations of such a... Normally a simple guitar. But... Let's talk about this pedal board. So we got, uh, again, Beano Boost, Park Fuzz, the Dusty Augustus, which I think is some sort of drive or fuzz. That Park Fuzz is so good. Yeah, the, the Q-Sex Screamer, the Mjolnir, the Terraform, the Carbon Copy Deluxe, and the Walrus R1, which I think that's the reverb thing, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I don't... I, it's, is is it's, there anything else you, no, you need it's all or there. want? Maybe, I, mean, on it, I'm, I might do something here, a little wild card. I might do a rotary. I think well, the, a rotary would be cool. Can the this. Terraform do that? Because the actually, terraform... it might. It might. I don't know. I've never actually played a Terraform. I, um, I haven't either. I've just seen them, and I'm always shocked at how small they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's like a, a huge Strymon thing, and then it's like the size of a King of Town. Yeah. Uh, I, there's see. nothing I would change. Nothing. Nothing. On the board, nothing. Oh man. Yeah. It's laid out well. I think it's the right size. I mean, you go you go any more than that, you add any more pedals, and then you start to kind of get into the, the realm of like, mm, you might want to think about a loop switcher. You might want to think about some some options there, um, input and output buffers. But he's got the buffer and the, the tuner, TU3 there. Yeah, and the Mjolnir has um, got a buffer. Oh, I didn't know the Mjolnir was buffered. Yeah, all Klon, well, all of my Klon clones are are buffered. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I only play <laughs> true bypass, dude. I mean, that's how they are. That's how they Yeah. Uh, there's not a clear photo of the terraform and all the patches it has. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it looks like it's got. Uh, it can probably do some sort of rotary effect. I, I, if yeah, that's that was my only thing. I, I 
I think a rotary sound with this kind of rig would be really, really fun. Uh, and then the amp. See, these little Marshalls, they they hit pretty hard. I played yeah. one of these at NAM, which doesn't mean anything because you can't hear anything when you play it at NAM. But um, it, it basically does all the sounds that like my Plexi it does at a much more attainable, reasonable volume. There's really no reason to have something like this, the 100-watt super lead, other than just to say you have it. Right. Um, because these uh these 20 watt amps, they sound awesome. Yeah. Kenny Greenberg was telling me because he has that same Marshall that he uses in the studio and for like recording, because he just like just uses it for that that driven sound. He's like, it's absolutely perfect for that. And yeah. um part-time pilot in the chat said they're still pretty loud for home use. Totally. 20 yeah, watts. 20 watts is a lot of power. It's so loud. I mean, really like you, you get like I, I'm sure you get asked this. I get asked this. Like, uh, what kind of five watt tube amp should I have for home use? Like, it, it's probably too loud. So a twenty uh, yeah. watt amp at home is what, plenty what, loud. How many watts should you have for home use? The answer is attenuator. Yeah, or load box. <laughs> yeah, because then, Headphone. yeah, th- then you can have whatever you want. You could have a hundred watt amp. I mean, literally, right. that's that's what I do with this. I play a hundred watt plexi or the the divided by thirteen. You know, I've talked about this before, but Fred says that's 37 watts. There's no way in hell that's a 37 watt amp. Um, it's it's way way louder than that. But I just play them through either the Aux or the Captor X, and it's totally fine. There you go. Well, cool, so, uh, man. I mean, all right, all right. So here's the deal. So you said the SG replaced his Tele. Mm-hmm. All right, which I get that. I could totally get that. Mm, yeah, I, but see, to me, the, the SG and Les Paul, there's too much overlap there. Right? They are different. They do a different thing, but they're not different enough. And like I was just saying, my sort of thought process is, I don't like things that overlap too much. I want everything to kind of have a lane and to do a thing. So I would have said, replace, get the SG, replace the Les Paul, and keep the Tele because an SG and a Tele with this rig would cover just about anything. You would want to do yeah um any any boomer bins you would ever need to bend you could you could certainly <laughs> bend the hell out of with an sg and a telly uh, so uh, yeah i'd say i'd say you got some redundancy there with the sg and the uh and the les paul so i'd get some kind of single coil guitar in there maybe it's a maybe it's a junior if you're still a gibson fan you get some kind of junior or special in there with p90s sure I don't know, what do you think yeah i mean I, honestly like i i could see having the sg and then in a telly of some mm-hmm. sort or an esquire or something just to, to mix it up um i think I mean, but he, he like he obviously still has it. It's just not on the rack. So yeah, just, yeah. just swap that, and I think you're golden. This is like this is a perfect setup for me. Yep. Uh, I mean, I could do anything I would want to do with this. Nine point five shoals for me. Oh man, I was yeah. gonna say the same. Look at that. Oh, look at us. Ding Dude, ding. Look at us. My God. I mean, it's just look all the all the the commenters we get that that complain about us being uh, you know just old boomers. <laughs> It's fine. I like what I like, okay? Well, speaking of old boomers. Oh, Jesus. God, here we go. Is this what you were talking about on Destiny last night? Look what I got. <laughs> okay. You no, know what? Tell me, tell me about it. Why is it Why is it great? Um, so this uh, is, for those listening, this is a Strandberg Bowden uh, Prague plenty edition so plenty the the guitar player um this is his version of the guitar and um i really like it like i i i find it very um 
comfortable to play. And I think that is the most important thing because my dumb hand, uh, it's got this wacky uh, neck shape. I don't even know if the camera, yeah, you can kind of pick it up. It looks so weird from that angle. <laughs> I, I feel like it's kind of like, it, it, it's not, it's not totally straight. It like moves. Um, really? Which way? Like it, it kind of comes the, the flat part up here kind of starts on the base side and then moves uh, over to the, the oh, high side. I like see, your yeah. hand would rotate around and um, it, it's really weird, but it, it's, it's just remarkably comfortable for me to play, especially sitting down because of the way the body is shaped. I can like sit it on my leg and, and actually play like really comfortably um, with it kind of up. Cause the, honestly, because of my hand, um, that's how I used to play when I was learning. I'd have to kind of like sit the guitar, like more classical style. Right. Um, but because of the fan fret thing in my hand, it's just, I have easier access. And I was, I, you know, this was a shot in the dark. I played a few of them at Guitar Center just goofing off and none of them felt totally right. But McKinley, uh, who has had one of these before, said that this one had a slightly thinner neck. And he's like, you know what? You should try it. And so I kept going back and forth, like, I don't know. I, I'm such a, like, an old man. It's, it's, it is weird, but uh, as soon as I started, like, actually sitting down and playing it, I, I kind of fell in love with it. So I know you're, you're, you don't like the body shape or I'm the a, heads, I'm a hater. headstocklessness I'm, of it. Dude, I, I'm a hater. I, so here's what I like about the guitar. I like the fan fret thing a lot. Yeah. Um, there is something to it. If you've never played a fan fret guitar, they are really cool. And it it just feels like the first time I played one, I was like, wait, why aren't all guitars like this? It kind of feels like this is how they should all be. It's just, especially when you get up into the higher registers and the way yeah. your hand shifts, you know, it like tilts as you get up there. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, I actually like the finish, you know, the natural oh, yeah. finish it's, is really cool. What kind of wood is that? It's like Hogany? a... Uh, no, well, the back is mahogany and it's very light. I think it's chambered. Well, yeah, there's uh, and, nothing hap there's nothing on the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh and I think the top uh wood is like an uh, uh Australian blackwood or something cuz plenty okay. is from Australia. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's a beautiful finish and it Yeah, it's um, nice. The pickups are cool. They're they're um they're like they got metal sort of covers on the bobbins. Uh-huh. Um and they're like wound by this guy in California, I think. So they sound like the neck sounds really good. The in, it's just a three-way switch, and the in-between is just the two inner coils. So you get like a single coil sort of, you know, uh, telly sort of thing. Um, bridge pickup's kind of hot. The only thing I don't like about it is the fact that um, the little mounts for the pickup are round. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, Seymour Duncan's are square. DeMarzio's right. would probably fit, but the, it's mounted right to the body. Yeah. So the set, the height is the set. Right. So you're kind of married to that. But it's got All the right. trim that works really well. I, I like it a lot. Tell me, tell me, someone in the comments, please explain to me why a headless guitar? Like, why, why did we need to chop off the headstock? Well, I mean, like, it's locked in. It tunes down here. You can yeah. restring it super fast. Like, why do you need a headstock? Like, why do you need to go through the trouble of putting everything in the tuning, you know. So, so, so you're you're saying gear. that that is faster to restring? Yeah, yeah. You you just uh, you you can actually use a screwdriver and whip off the little tuner head right here, um, or you can just unscrew it quick and then pull the string through 
you tighten it up here and then clip it off and then what, okay. like you just kind of pull it taut, tighten it down and then tune it. So um, all that to to just not have a headstock. I I th- that's the thing with these guitars that I will never ever be able to get over is right not having a headstock is an immediate deal breaker it's like even fine in, here until i bring it yeah here. <laughs> and then it just looks wrong it just looks wrong i, yeah. I can't i'll just never be able to get past that um and the back look ugh, just <laughs> so it's so ugly you know um do you like the body shape no you don't like it no i don't okay i because here's why it to me it looks like I, I don't know. I'm trying to put my finger on why I have an aversion to it, okay? And this is entirely <laughs> subjective, but it's just... I guess I don't necessarily like guitars that are designed for... It looks like that shape was designed with the intent of like, okay, I want the guitar to sit here when I'm playing it, uh-huh. and then let me shape the body around that. Right. Rather than making something that is beautiful and has a nice shape and nice curves and is proportional, it was like, no, I want it to sit here and I just want it to be shaped so it sits here when I play it. I mm-hmm. don't I don't like that. Now, that's not before everyone starts coming after me. It's like, oh, Red only likes, you know, old Gibsons and Fenders and he doesn't like anything new. Not true. I'm a huge fan of the Abbasi concept guitars. The Lorada. I will own a Lorada at some point and not just the telly version. I want like the proper seven string fan fret, um, a bossy concept. I love the shape. I love the look of those guitars. They have headstocks. Thank mm-hmm. God. Um, <laughs> and they do all the modern stuff. They're comfortable to play. I've, I've played one of them and it's, it's ergonomic. It sits exactly where you want it to sit. It's got the fan fret thing. It's super comfortable to play super light, but I guess I don't like the I don't like that shape because the headstock thing. It's like to me, it just looks like they were trying to do something different, and it was like, well, we'll just chop the headstock off, and that's what's different about it. And I yeah, I, I want to. I need to watch uh, Keith's uh, Five Out Worlds video on the history of Strandberg to really know like more of the thing. I, I, I it's funny though, like all these little cutaways and shapes are like definitely there, so you can sit it comfortably if you're sitting down. Because I mean, you can play it like a like a normal guitar sure but um but yeah i don't know i just i I, it's weird i really like it and uh, it's funny like uh morgan was super shocked that i would get something so (laughs) non-traditional um and i I just i can't stop playing it so okay well there you go anyway that but how does it sound though you didn't mention anything about the sound It sounds really good. So the neck pickup sounds sick. The in-between position is awesome. The bridge is a little hot. Um, f- like plugged into an amp, it's like, or at least the two rock. I haven't plugged it into anything else other than the, um, my HX stomp. So the first like big proper tube amp was the two rock, and um, <clears throat> it sounded very good. It's something I'd have to like dial in to make it work. Mm-hmm. But I think you can kind of tell that he, because he has a neural plug-in, like that a lot of their stuff. And a lot of I feel like a lot of people that would use something like this because it is very even and balanced. Um, it, it's kind of flat, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you can tell it's like it's useful for shaping with a modeler, um, right? But plugging into the HX Stomp and like really tweaking some of my patches, just you know, dialing out some trouble or whatever, it, it sounded. I mean, it has its own sound. It doesn't sound like any other guitar I have, but I could totally play like anything on it. So yeah. it, it's yeah. 
the, like the pickups sound good. I would be really curious to hear them in a different guitar, but they, they can't mount in a different guitar because there's no threading for the mounting hole. It just screws right uh. in. So I don't know. I kind of like the idea of getting something I can't. I, the only thing I can do is change the strings. That's all I can do. Well, so that I have is to for just you, accept that it. Is, yeah, yeah. That is an exercise in, in, uh, in, um, patience for you because you yes. immediately start ripping apart the rev star i'm surprised you haven't immediately started changing stuff on the rev star already but the, i i i may change change the pickups eventually uh but i it, it sounds good and it like works well and so it's like the usually i can find a fault with something uh but like that kind of is living by itself and that i just the strandberg i can't change so yeah David Hassel, uh, Hassenflu in the chat says Strandbergs are so easy to travel with too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I get it, and that's why. Like, <laughs> I was oh. talking to RJ a few months ago about going to when I was going to Germany, and uh, he's like, "Oh, dude, just get a Strandberg to travel with." I was like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> Here's the bag. It's it's so small. When I, when I got it, when I first brought it to the house. Uh, Morgan, I said, I got something I got to show you. And I pulled that out. And she was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a rifle. <laughs> it does. looks like an AR-15 <laughs> Yeah, bag. it looks like a rifle <laughs> Like <bag>. a range bag. <laughs> but uh, but it, 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 it's designed to fit an overhead. So you can totally yeah. just... Mm-hmm. Well, I, again, I've, I've flown dozens and probably hundreds of times now with guitars. And um, I've never had an issue with a guitar that has a headstock. Yeah, well, that's bass is a different thing, right? If you have a like a P bass, that's a different thing. It doesn't fit in overheads, but um, if you're on a short domestic flight with small overhead bins, most of the time you can put it in a coat closet. Like, and and the reality is, I will tell you, the last flight I took to Kansas City, even that guitar would not have fit in the overhead bins. mm -hmm. So it's not it's not a foolproof solution. Anybody out there thinking like, oh, I'm just going to get a Strandberg and be able to fly anywhere? It's like, nope. Even on some domestic flights, the the bins are like way too small well i I like the idea of of it being so small and light because even traveling like with my novo in the mono bag like when i went to the uk like it's not heavy it's just like it's just cumbersome having something you know guitar sized on your back you know the whole time and then trying to deal with like a bag and other stuff so i don't know edwards in the chat says he's going to chicago on his honeymoon in september and he's super scared about getting a guitar back to the uk all right so Mm. I don't know in terms of like important taxes. I don't know what that all looks like going from the U.S. to to the U.K. But international flights, so you need to invest in a good case. Whatever you're buying, if it doesn't come with a good case, you need to to budget money for a good case on your guitar, whether it's a mono bag or it's like a hard shell case. And do not gate check it. I'm sorry. Do not check it when you check in. Always carry it to the gate with the intention of carrying on. and then do uh, these are a couple of, of flight tips here. If there's a way that you can board early, whether that's like you pay twenty bucks to to board early, or you go and ask the gate agent when you get there and explain to them. I've always had good luck with Delta with this. Um, you, hey, I've got a guitar. Is there any way I could board a little early just to make sure the guitar gets on the plane? Nine mm-hmm. times out of ten, that has helped. Uh, that has worked and got me on the plane early. Um, Put it in the overhead bin or on an international flight. They are there's tons of big coat closets, and that's better than an overhead bin in my experience. Because what happens is you put your guitar in an overhead bin, and then some other passenger opens the bin, and they've got their carry on, and they're like, "Oh, I can make that fit," and they 
cram it into the overhead bin. I've had to like I've had words with people on planes before about like, dude, that's that's not cool. Yeah, you know, there, there's my guitar is up there, whatever. So, um, coat closet. Be as courteous and as as just nice as you can be with everyone working for the plane because they don't have to do it for you they can make you gate check it and yeah. put it under the plane but if you it's super nice you explain to them like i'd love to is there any way we could put this on a coat closet or in an overhead bin or whatever nine times out of ten i never have to put the guitar under a plane yeah and and i don't know if it was you i know i've heard, had some artists like tell me in the past, like just don't say anything and just like walk it. Well, just, just take it on the plane, like someone told you to. Yeah. Um. I mean, and again, do everything that you said. Be absolutely courteous, uh, understanding, and and you know, like there's limited space on a plane. Yeah. But it, I, whenever I went to the UK, it, I just that's what I heard, and I just walked on with my guitar. And as soon as I walked in, I saw like the first person there in the plane said, Hey, can we put this in a closet or something? They said, sure. And they just took it Yeah, and it always worked out and they were always super nice. And yeah. And the airline so, you pick is super important. Okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> obviously not paid for in any way, but, um, I basically in domestic and international, we try to only fly Delta and Delta affiliated airlines. That's KLM. KLM is the best airline to fly with. When we went to Germany, we flew KLM and they literally, <laughs> the seat the the plane was only half sold so they took my two guitars in my mono bag and phil's bass and they put them in seats uh and like gave them like strapped them in the whole time delta is always super great about guitars never ever ever fly american airlines or united airlines ever uh, under any circumstances just in general they're the worst airlines but specifically <laughs> with instruments I personally have had bad experiences. Um, I saw Andy Wood tweeted recently that I think American like lost one of his mm-hmm. guitars and was doing nothing about it. They they almost have like they want to make it hard on you for bringing an instrument on their plane. Never fly American. Never fly United. And if you work for one of those airlines, I'm sorry, your airlines are terrible. <laughs> right. I've had awful experiences on both of those airlines. So there you go. Yep. 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 Well. You want to talk about Gibson? Uh, yeah, let's talk about Gibson. We can, we can reflect a little bit what you were saying in your, your <sighs> recent video, which seems to be doing well. It is doing well. Um, uh, and I've got their I've got their one of their pages pulled up. Let me try and share the screen here on their on their website. Yeah. So for those of you that didn't see, um, recently Gibson put out a brand new signature guitar. And of all the Gibson artists and of all the people that are currently playing Gibsons these days, they picked Gene Simmons to get the Gene Simmons G2 Thunderbird bass. Now, I don't know Gene Simmons. You know, I'm not a huge Kiss fan, but I don't have anything against the guy. I'm sure he's a nice enough guy, you know. <laughs> but I, why? Why Gene Simmons? Like, he's never been known as a particularly, like, great or influential bassist um and to my knowledge i mean has he even really played gibson basses like i I think they did like way back in the day uh but and then i mean i just remember gene for playing the big axe 
uh, yeah, the, the axe stuff. base. That's the only thing I know about. But again, I don't know shit about Kiss, so don't don't yeah, take same, my words for it. <clears throat> so I just feel like you know it's 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 really easy to armchair quarterback these things, but let's let's armchair quarterback this. Um, if you're going to release a new Gibson bass, pull up their bases. Well, let's, let's see. Let's Look see what that. They're... Oh God. <laughs> oh my God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bases. Uh... <sighs> There's that's. That's like the affliction T-shirt of, yeah. of bases right there. Um, there's there's no link to okay electric guitars. Maybe I can just sort by bass on their website. Yeah, let's find where what bases. Jeez, because okay. I I want to make a point here, but I want to make sure that they don't currently do this because I I think there's an opportunity here to do something really cool. Nothing. Oh my God, where are the bases? No, they've got to be at the bottom. <laughs> of course, poor bassists. They're gonna be at the Art. bottom with the left-handed guitars and. There's not. No, hold on. There's got to be basses on there. What? Well, let me. Okay, wait a fuck. Bass. Ah, here it is. Oh, <laughs> there's a shock. link down it's at the literally... very bottom. <laughs> okay. All right. So they've got the SG standard bass for fifteen ninety nine. Yep. All right. They've got the Thunderbird bass for twenty two ninety nine. The Les Paul Tribute, Les Paul Junior Tribute DC bass, and the non-reverse Thunderbird. I like that. I do too. That's cool. That's pretty and, rad. Which I actually don't like the guitar version of that, but in bass version, that's pretty sick. Yeah, that's pretty rad. Okay. All right. Where's the Ripper? Where's the Grabber? Right. Man. Two of the coolest basses of all time. Still kind of undersung, but mm -hmm. killer basses. Um, I, I think of the last waltz. Um, God, what was the bass player's name in the band? He was playing a, uh, I believe, a, a ripper for the, for the last waltz. Like, why? Why instead of gi giving Gene Simmons a signature Thunderbird bass, which you already have in your lineup, the Thunderbird bass is already there. Why not re-release one of these cool basses from history? And do it, you know, maybe do a special edition on release, and then you do a USA version for $14.99, $15.99, like the SG standard base, right? Right. Why didn't they do that? That seems like an obvious choice to me. Yeah, it's a I don't know. It's it's a weird thing that like I mean, base give apart from the Thunder, I mean like the SG bass, you have Jack Bruce, uh, Thunderbird yeah. bass. Countless people have played that. Uh, Rick um, Danko, by the way, in the yeah. band. Sorry, I was based on his name. Yeah, and like I mean, the the Ripper, the Grabber, which is basically the same shape. Um, like Gibson is not necessarily known for basses, but no, they've been around. They've, yeah, it's a cool alternative to a P bass or a jazz bass. Right. I mean, like the as far as like having something that could appeal to more of like a hard rock. Uh, or just any sort of rock bassist. Which is um, their market. Like, that is Gibson's market. When you do sure. look at some of the newer bands that they're putting money behind, it is definitely in that rock market, which is totally fine. You know, you got the Jared James Nichols and, um, you know, uh, uh, Hailstorm and, and, and those bands. And that's right. cool. But again, like, that sound is not what young people are listening to. And, and I got that comment a lot in my video where people were just like, listing players like new players that are playing Gibsons. But the thing is they're either not new players. They're all in their forties or early fifties. Yeah. Um, or it's 
in a genre of music um, that is just derivative of music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, which there's nothing wrong with. I, I like that stuff. But my point with the video is that they're not reaching young people with that. Yeah, Young young people, generally speaking, right? We're, we're talking in generalities here, um, are not listening to these garage rock bands, these 70s rock bands. They're listening to bands that are at Coachella. And as mm-hmm. we, we noted in that video, people at Coachella are not playing Gibsons. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Like, so if we go to the artist collection, you know, I'm trying to like find people who are not like of the hard rock ilk. Uh, so Noel Gallagher, his uh, J150, forty three hundred bucks though. Yeah, uh, some some Elvis guitars. Uh, Elvis, no. uh, Nathaniel Ratliff. I mean, that's that's cool, but thirty five hundred, thirty four hundred. Uh, Chuck Berry, uh, the 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 Jim James ES three thirty five. Like, I mean, that's, that's cool, but that's again, pretty cool. Thirty five hundred, uh, but there's not a lot of and like, even Jim J. Like, my morning jacket is not a young band. Like, that's oh no. the thing is, like, you keep bringing this stuff. You're like, oh yeah, Jim James. My, oh wait, dude, they they like yeah. blew up twelve years ago, fifteen years ago. Oh, longer than that. Oh, man, I feel like that was when I was in high school. Like when my morning jacket was right blown up. But like, yeah, there's not a whole lot in here. Um, I mean, Lucas the Luke, Nelson. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, but, but he's definitely not playing young people music. Um, no, really. No. Which is part of why I like it. But and right. that's the thing is, like personally, I should point out that I like these guitars. Like, oh yeah, we're scrolling past. I'm like, oh, that's sick. That's really cool. I like that. But again, I my tastes are not indicative of what young people are listening to. Not even close. You know, um, and they are really expensive. Now the thing yeah. is. You kind of can't fault Gibson for being more expensive than Fender. I mean, sure. I said this in the video. I've I've been to the factory. They have they have people literally hand scraping the binding on every bound guitar that leaves that factory. There's just more work and more time that goes into building a Gibson guitar than goes into a standard Fender guitar. That's just how it is. One hundred percent. They're going to be more expensive, and then their special line, like we, we're looking at the SG Special here, um, SG Junior. These are fifteen ninety nine, thirteen ninety nine. This is competing with Fender. These are cool guitars. Um, they have sort of that indie punk kind of vibe to them. They always have. Mm-hmm. So why are they not pushing these guitars? Why are they not putting these guitars in the hands of bands that are playing at Coachella? People are saying, well, it's the single coil sound. People nowadays want the cleaner single coil sound. Okay, a P90. Yeah. Get a P90 guitar. <laughs> like people say, oh, they're playing jazz masters. Bands these days are playing jazz masters. It's not a P90, but what why are there why are there two uh SG specials here? Because there's here's one in Cherry for $15.99. And here's one in Pelham Blue. And they both say two finish options, but that doesn't have cherry. That that one has sparkling burgundy. This one is vintage cherry or ebony. That's Not really, sure. That's really weird. But yeah, it's it's an odd thing because it's like, you know, these guitars, I mean, the SG is probably the most comparable price-wise to something like an American Fender. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, this, look, an SG standard 61, two grand. Right. Because uh, how much is a... How much is a is a you know American standard American Pro Two Strat um, or Tele? I think is I don't know. Let's pull it up on Sweetwater here. Um, Six sixteen ninety nine. Okay, so seventeen hundred bucks. Right. 
I mean, I think for what you're getting with these guitars is, is, is you know, that's comparable price-wise. But I think the thing is, is like it, people are just into that Fender sound right now. Yeah, you know? and, and a part of this is, you know, tastes ebb and flow, right? I mean, sure. it just, that's th this the market is going to sway one way or another. But there's no question that when it comes to new bands, young players, Gibson is, I think, completely missing that market, completely missing it. Yeah. And it, it's, I think there's some obvious steps that they could take to do that in giving Gene Simmons a signature bass uh, or Dave Mustaine a signature guitar or re-releasing another slash collection of yeah. guitars is not how you do that. Right. And, and do you think that they need to go after, do you think they need to go after artists to push the guitars they make or they need to make guitars to, that appeal to the audiences that are pursuing the, the Fender thing? Well, because like, yeah, right. well, I look at the SG and I think about, okay, like, like a P90, it's not a Fender single coil sound, but it'd be the perfect platform to reintroduce the melody maker that they made yes. in the SG body shape. Dude. And we've been talking about this for like two years or so. You know who should, you know who deserves a, uh, a signature Gibson? John, uh, John Dwyer from the OCs from OCs. Have you seen his melody maker that he plays? Uh, -uh. he's got a melody maker with a dog ear P90 in the bridge. And it is rad. And his, his tone and his sound is so cool. Um, I've been watching a lot of those levitation sessions videos on uh, on YouTube, and there's a couple of OCs shows on there, and it's so cool. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like an obvious choice. Now I realize they're not a huge pop band playing at Coachella, right? But right, um, still, that's that's a really cool band. Someone who's doing something really cool. Like, where's the melody maker in this lineup? You're totally right. Yeah, and, and it's funny. It's like we were on, we did an, an Instagram live before dipped in tone started when i was still in the garage yeah and i had mentioned like i think that gibson needs to bring back the melody maker because it's going to give a totally different sound and they can make it more affordably and appeal to that that audience and cesar was in the chat yep and said well that's why we have epiphone but it's not about the price point entirely it's about having that sound and having a a, a um Having having something approachable that isn't like your dad or now your grandfather's guitar, right? Uh, I mean, like chances are your grandfather probably had a melody maker, yeah. But like no one, I mean, yeah. But, but it's not like is, a famous guitar thing. It's not like you know. It's not. It's not a boomer guitar sh necessarily, right? But this is a branding thing. This is yeah. totally a branding thing because Strats and Tellys and, and Jazz Masters were all being made and played at the same time that mm -hmm. that Les Pauls and Melody Makers and SGs were played. Right? Yeah. We're talking about designs from the late fifties through the early to mid sixties here. Okay, the Stratocaster or the all these these guitars that bands are playing at Coachella are from the same time period, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of like, oh, well, Fender's just more modern and, and a more modern sound because it's it's just not. It's a branding thing. And on the Epiphone side, to Cesar's point, we have Epiphone. People don't want an Epiphone the same way that they want a Fender or a Gibson. Yep. And Gibson, this is something that Fender and PRS do that I, I don't know would be right for Gibson, but this is something that is differentiating them from, from the other two brands, which is Fender and PRS both have import brands 
uh, guitars that are made or import lines that are made overseas that still bear the Fender and PRS name. Yeah. And Gibson is an aspirational product. I remember when I was starting out playing guitar and I was learning about the different brands, I always looked up to and wanted a Gibson because it just, they were a lot of my favorite players played Gibsons when I would play guitar hero. Like I unlocked the three thirty five, <laughs> and, and that was like my, my thing in guitar hero. Like I just looked up to and wanted a Gibson. And, and I think that is part of, they shouldn't lose that. Right. I think Gibson right. Gibson should hold on to that, that they are like, sort of an aspirational brand for a lot of players. But there is this gap where most young people and and not even just young people, a lot of people just to spend 2500 bucks, 3000, 3500 bucks on on a guitar is just it's just not possible and so they they stick with brands like Fender or PRS and with Fender you can get a made in Mexico Strat or Tele that for all intents and purposes is just as good as the American version at that less price not as substantially less as it used to be but right or PRS you can get the SE line right there's they're great guitars yeah um, and they still have that PRS name whereas an Epiphone no matter how good Epiphones are like my casino is great but it will always have that Epiphone name on it and it's just not worth as much as the gibson name and it never will be it just won't do you, do you think that if they i mean i think gibson has tried this kind of in the past uh with stuff like the epiphone elite series where they really made i mean epiphone elite uh, or elitist models which is not a not a great not, not, not a good name <laughs> Uh, if we're being honest, but the Epiphone they, Coastal Elite <laughs> model, <laughs> <laughs> the better than your your <laughs> guitar model. The, the like those the, get, the flyover. So you've got the Coastal Elite models, and then the normal Epiphone lines, like the flyover, uh, the Epiphone flyover series. <laughs> <laughs> well, the so for for those that don't remember those those guitars, they were uh, a Japanese uh, Epiphone that were basically like an Orville. Uh, like the guitar, if you're not familiar with the Orville, Orville is like the Japanese Gibson. Yeah, but they're they're yeah poly, and and they have veneers instead of you know full maple caps and stuff. But basically, these guitars were like that. And I had an SG, and really like apples to apples, apart from the the poly finish, like it was just as good of a guitar as any Gibson I'd put my hands on. And they discontinued that line because I think that became like the general sentiment for people that were liking it. So I don't, I can never imagine Gibson doing that. Like, what do they do? Do they say, okay, Epiphone is no more. Now we make a Chinese or, you know, Indonesian Gibson. Like, how do they? I don't think they do. I, I, I just, I don't, like I said, I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think that's the right move for them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think well, this is just a, it's it's a marketing question, and and people in chat are, are are listing people like, you know, what young guitar players are playing Gibson. People are talking about Marcus King, okay, and this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I love Marcus King. Uh, his music is is great. Mm-hmm. I've done a bunch of shows with with Marcus over the years. Like, um, I've seen this firsthand. Marcus is young. He's in his early to mid twenties but he doesn't make young music. No, the music no. that Marcus King and, and Marcus King band plays, it's all Gen Xers and baby boomers at those shows. Like, yeah, I, and I, I know cause I've been there and I've, I've played his family reunion festival. I've, I've done the Joe Bonamassa blues cruise. I've done these things. And like, 
So yes, you can point out a young person who's playing it, but it's the music is not appealing to young people. And again, I'm not saying that Marcus is, you know, sucks or anything like that. I like the music a lot, but again, I'm not I don't have tastes that uh, the younger players today are into. Yeah, cuz Marcus already has a ES345 model. Yeah, which and is it's beautiful. 7 grand. Yeah. You know, so like it's appealing to the people that listen to his music. Uh which is you know, our parents and, and people our age, really. Right, right. Um, but, you know, like talking about PRS and, and like, the, the, you know, the fact that Epiphone are not Gibson and never will be, no matter how good Epiphone are. And I think that, like, like you've been saying, the newest Epiphones are probably the best they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like... And and I've had I have some good friends. Uh, uh, Dave Johnson, who is a luthier here in town, he sets up my guitars when I need it. He's set up some new Epiphones, put new pickups in them, rewired them, made them you know as good as they can possibly be. And he says, you know, they're like there's no reason to get a Gibson unless you want it to say Gibson on it. Yeah. Um, from a playability and build quality standpoint. But the thing that PRS does, and Gibson has tried this uh, in the past, and it, I'd be interested interested to see if they could could implement this. They have the S2 line, uh-huh. which for those that don't know, all the, the nitty gritty, the S2 line, the guitars are built, the bodies are built in in Maryland. But the guts are, are imported. So, right. uh, and, and some of the other things, I'm sure not all the hardware and stuff, the tuners, they may not be absolutely the same thing that PRS uses, but the, the pickups and the pots and everything. And, and often on those, um, on some of them, the more affordable ones, there's like a big pit guard and everything just screws down. So it's really quick and easy to, to put those guitars together. Yeah. Gibson, I think tried that for mm-hmm. a time. Was that their that, faded line? They had like a, a, a line of, cause they made melody makers a few years ago that were just like normal body shapes and then I think they had a model called the the LPJ, um, which were like these little strip back. Uh, maybe that's not it. They they had uh, they've had so many guitars over the years it's hard to keep track of. Yeah. But they had like a guitar that I think had import guts and, and electronics and more affordable hardware, and they were they were definitely to a price point. But what I would like to see is Gibson approach the Melody Maker thing. Uh, and maybe adopt some of these guitars they've been fighting so hard to get back, like the cornet, yeah, um, and, and make those as an American-made guitar with maybe a little bit more budget-friendly uh, pickups and things. Because, I mean, PRS, all these companies are showing that import pickups and wiring can be good when it's done well, and it's all about how you tell them to make it. If they can make a guitar line that I think fits in the 6 to $900 range that mm-hmm. gives a full feature set that are cool looking that appeal to a slightly younger audience it would be a home run for them yeah maybe it's time to revisit some of the the Norlin era shapes right some of the the goofy stuff that they were doing in mm. the 70s that really didn't land because of I think quality issues and build issues that, that right. just were horrible in the Norlin era maybe it's time to to revisit some of that stuff and to do what we're talking about, which is get us in that six hundred to a thousand dollar price bracket to compete with PRSSE, to compete with Made in Mexico Fenders, <laughs> offer something that's different, right? Something that you haven't seen, a shape or a pickup combination or or feature set you haven't seen since the seventies, 
right? Yeah. Um, and put that out and put it in the hands of some of these young bands that are playing Coachella. And I'm I'm talking sure. about bands that are on the real up and up, like still playing 500 cap clubs, you know, and, and touring in 15 passenger vans and stuff like that. Because yeah. the, that's the next round of, of bands that are coming up. And again, we've seen this over the last couple of years. Guitar is coming back. It, the The popularity of this pendulum is starting to swing back. It's it's not huge, right? It's it's not a cultural movement, and I don't know that it ever will be again. But it is starting to to come back, you know. Um, and young people are getting more and more interested in it because of you know Instagram players and because of things like TikTok. There's a lot of really great musicians and guitarists that are young you know, late teens, early twenties that have huge followings on these apps. And they're playing brands like Ibanez, for example, because Ibanez does this thing. Right. Ibanez offers an affordable guitar with interesting full feature sets um, at a very accessible, very affordable price, right? That's, yeah. That is Ibanez's playbook. And it kind of sort of always has been, I think. Um, and Gibson could do this. You could you could come out with it, revisit something that from the past that, you know, I, I don't know specifically what model, you know, I mean, you have stuff like the Marauder. Yeah. Marauder. Um, like some of those like kind of funky, like uh, those were obviously like a means to an end guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find like a webpage that has all this stuff, but most of them are just riddled with ads, but like, you know, not, I, I don't think you need to reissue the Corvus or any of those really weird guitars, even though, Somebody might like it, yeah. but but things like the you know the S one the Sonics all those really stripped back entry level like guitars could be you know there's no binding they're, they're they're really straightforward they could be something that they can make not just to meet a price point but to appeal to people that that just they don't want to play the same guitar Slash has yeah exactly don't don't make a budget less Paul. Yeah. Right. The Les Paul, I think, needs to be what it is. Right. Which is that it's a it's a premium guitar. It's the Les Paul, and it's an aspirational guitar for a lot of people. Same thing with the three thirty five. Right. I think the SG can kind of get down into that that market. You could do a version of the SG maybe in that in that price bracket. Like I remember when I was a kid, my neighbor across the street, Mike, who got me into guitar. He was a year older. I remember the day he bought one of the uh, it was like the faded SGs from Guitar Center. It was like seven hundred bucks. Oh, he yeah. he saved up his money from cutting lawns, and I think he worked at a golf course or something. And I remember the day he got it. It came with the Gibson gig bag, you know, the Gibson USA gig bag, mm-hmm. and it was just like the oil rubbed walnut finish with two pickups. and And that guitar was sick. That that uh, the faded SGs. And then, to a lesser extent, the faded Les Paul specials and the double mm-hmm. cuts, like what Rick has, mm-hmm. those have to have been one of like the last great selling guitars that, yes. that Gibson had of the Henry J era. Yes, because, Rick bought his guitar, I think, for like it was two thousand five. I think he bought it for seven hundred bucks. Yeah, they were like seven eight hundred dollars. And, and they, you know what? Everyone had one, dude. That is still to this day the best sounding guitar in his studio. His yellow faded. Uh, Les Paul special, a double cut special. Yeah, it's his best sounding guitar in that studio. That they, they were great. I had I had one that was uh, 
was was it wasn't faded. It was like the Les Paul special that had the normal nitro uh, finish, and I. I I won it in a contest and have since sold it. But that was a great guitar. But that thing, and, and that style guitar, I think that needs to be the direction for the you know this the entry point for these players who don't want an Epiphone but want to aspire to a Gibson and and that and 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 also from a business standpoint, they can make those guitars. They wouldn't cost an arm and a leg, and they they'd be the cheapest advertising Gibson ever does. Right. I mean, look. That's why Rick is doing his uh, his signature guitar that way, yeah. and it's not a standard Les Paul special double cut. They're thinner. They have a much different finish on them. There's no like grain filler or lacquer top coat. It's basically just a color coat, a, 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 a nitro color coat. So they mm-hmm. fade, they wear as you play them. They're super lightweight. They're super resonant because there's almost no finish on the guitar. They come mm-hmm. with P100s. It's it's gonna be a ripper guitar. When does and that come out? Because that's I been don't like, know. I've been know. talking about that for a long. Yeah, time. I don't know. I don't know. But again, it's like that's an option right there. <laughs> the Rick right. Beato signature, like that's that's a step in that direction. Now it took Rick, you know, kind of pushing him in that direction to go there, which is that that's kind of the frustrating part for me. Which is like, okay, you you've done what you needed to do. You got some cash flow rolling through the company again, and you needed to do that in, by targeting people with money that wanted to buy guitars from the fifties and sixties. All right, mm-hmm. and they did that when the JC era took over. They re- reworked and overhauled the guitar line. They they got the fifties and sixties spec back together. They got their quality control back together. Um, they overhauled their factory. Like they completely ripped apart and rebuilt that whole factory floor to get the quality control back up to where it needed to be. And so it's like, cool, you've done that. I think phase one is is done, but it doesn't seem like they're moving into phase two, which is what we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I, and <sighs> I hope they get there because we both, I mean, despite how many of these weird ass things I'm going to end up with one of these days. Oh, like I God. still, I genuinely want to see Gibson succeed. And, and I do too. I've been like, I, Matthew Timmons, McKinley and myself have been gassing each other up for all this stuff. And we've been looking at the Gibson, uh, demo shop, uh, and all this stuff. Cause there's like, there's some great deals to be had on there. Granted they're expensive, but mm-hmm. relatively speaking, they're a really good deal. Right. It, like I, I, I love my Gibson stuff, and I hope that this will be the way to see them into the next generation because I think that the idea of pursuing more of the harder rock and the dad rock uh, artist roster is just it's, – it's, it's, it's playing it safe from a financial standpoint probably for them because, uh, I mean, we didn't even talk about those crazy Scala guitars that they released and it already sold for – obscene money yeah but you know if they're if they if this brand is going to survive it's going to have to appeal to the future well, musicians the gene simmons move to me i saw them posted on instagram and i just thought like what what are you doing man they're like yeah. wh- why are you doing this right now like get some fresh blood going and then you can go and do the gene simmons thing but like to, to follow it like dave mustaine and I know they've done other signatures. I'm just, I'm just, re, you know, calling out the big ones that they high profile, the one, high yeah. profile ones like Dave Mustaine, Slash, and Gene Simmons. Like, dude, there's there's no one under 
40 that really listens to or cares about those bands. No, no, not, not, not in any substantial numbers. You know, it's just the kids of the parents who listen to it, you know, yeah, and might have twisted their arm into liking it. <laughs> Chat saying leadership at Gibson is milking money from boomers. Yeah, they are. And it's yeah. a smart business decision. I get it. It's a business. Boomers have money to spend. They have money to spend on the guitars that their heroes played. I get it. It's a good, in my opinion, short-term strategy. It's not a good long-term strategy. And that's the whole point of my video the other day and the, this discussion is you've got to be investing in, in the next generation of players if you want to remain relevant. And I just don't see them doing it right now. Yeah, I mean, and Fender does it. Like, let's... And Fender has been doing it. They've been playing yeah. this long game for 10 plus years at this point. But like, let's let's take away all these new artists and you look at the Fender Custom Shop you look at 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 any most of the signature models from like the high end part of the the American lineup. You have Eric Johnson. You have a lot of dudes that are you know they're still making the Rory Gallagher guitar. Like what, you know, I don't see a lot of young people saying you know I I need to play that. Right. You know, but it, they st I'm sure they still make the Stevie guitar. You know, it's like all these guitars that that they will continue to make that appeal to the audience that Gibson is appealing to and the custom shop totally appeals to that. Yeah. But man, I, I just think that there's, I'm sure there's, there's a bit of a pride thing. It's like, you know, this is, this is what we do. This is who we appeal to. And this is what we're going to keep doing. And I just hope that they can see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, look, Gibson, why don't you hire us? Bring us on as consultants. I'm know. just down the street. Listen, I'll drive up. <laughs> yeah. See? I ain't scared. You're close. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Atlanta's only three and a half hours away. Bring us in. We'll, we'll get this. Uh, we'll work together. We'll step off of the uh, the armchair sidelines here, and uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll do. We'll we'll open Shoyles Consulting. How about that? I'm I'm ready. Shoyles Brand Consulting. I need uh, another thing to do. Yeah, me too. And another line on my taxes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I I don't do enough as it is. I've got so much time on my hands that a new company I think is the way. Yeah, is the way to do it. Yeah, you know? so, like you've not had anything to do. That's why you're taking this trip. It's yeah, like you're bored. Dude, I'm bored. I'm just going to Utah for two weeks. Cause there's nothing else to do. Are you kidding me? Uh, well, you got your shill. I got my shill. You go first. All right. So, this is this is a piece of gear I've had my eye on for when I say years, I mean years and years and years. And I didn't buy it. I'm borrowing it. Um, but I've had so much fun with it recently. It's not a guitar. It's not even guitar related. But the Teenage Engineering OP1, oh, dude, this thing is a riot. I've been using it on some videos recently, just kind of like, you know, behind the scenes doing some like some drum tracking or like some bass or adding some sparkly synth stuff. Mm -hmm. This is one of the coolest. I mean, it's a full on production suite. You can you can create whole tracks. I would recommend the YouTube channel Red Means Recording uh, for for OP1 material. Um, but I have, have had so much fun with this thing. I'm borrowing it from a friend and, uh, it's one of those things where I hope they just don't ask for it back. <laughs> so right. Yeah. Keep it for a while. I forgot he had that. Oh, I forgot he had that. Yeah. Do, do, um, do those have a radio? You can like sample yes, the radio. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Dude, it's so, you can do so much with these things. You can literally turn on the radio, sample the radio, and then use that for, uh, uh, and then you can import samples. You can import drum sounds. You can, you can do I mean, I have not even begun to scratch the surface of what this thing can do, um, but I'm going to take it to Utah, and I just want to like sit in the car while, 
you know, on a road trip and like play around with it and make and just listen to the. Oh yeah, I really want an analog. Keys. I want an analog keyboard for my office so I can. Yeah. Uh, sound like our buddy Sean when he's on Destiny. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> he'll like get over there and like get in the computer, and we hear him. And he's, I'm, I'm through the firewall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so they stopped making them for a while, and and prices on them went nuts, like mm-hmm. like crazy, crazy high. And then they brought him back into production. Do, um, does it stay like? Can you use it by itself, or do you have yeah, to like? Connect? Yeah, it's, okay. It's, no, it's like a. It's designed to be a standalone sort of production suite. It's got a four-track mm-hmm. tape machine in it. You can like bounce stuff down, or you can obviously integrate it with other stuff in your workflow. But it's um, yeah, it's it's wild, man. That's awesome. Yeah, the those I have. They're little because they make the little things. Yeah, the like pocket little, operators. Yeah, yeah, I have uh, the Mega Man one mm-hmm. <laughs> because. Uh, I love Mega Man and Graham loves Mega Man, so right. have to have it. So my shill is a. Uh, I've done I've done stuff like this before, but I I told you about this last night. These are ah. the, the Jimi Hendrix Fender set of strings. Uh, I've done strings before, but you know, I, I'm just thinking I wanted to restring my Saris S, and I. Uh, I just, I just I want to mix it up because I feel like every guitar I have should have like its own character and personality, and I've never tried this set. So for those that don't know Jimmy's gauges, uh, RJ did a great video on this, breaking down what they were and how it affects your playing. Right. They are 10, 13, 15, 26, 32, 38. So it's kind of like a heavy top really light middle light really light bottle. Middle. Yeah, light bottle. Yeah, the the G string being a 15. So the the B being a 13 and the G being a 15, the G string feels smaller than the B. Yeah, it's weird. It's very strange, but these these are really cheap and they're like a pure nickel wrap. They do a ball and the bullet end for like a strat trim. I I don't know. I think mixing up your strings is a great way to spend like, you know, 10 bucks and you might land on something you really like. So, so I'm I'm struggling whether or not to to announce this yet. So I, I recently did that string. Um, Cindy Hewlett from Carmine Street sent mm. me a pack of DRs in the Hendrix gauges. Oh, cool. and I actually I just put them on my Novo, my Saris J, and I really like the uh, that gauge set. Um, but we talked about this, right? The the new string endeavor i'm i'm starting i don't think so no you start a new company you competing with string joy you gonna tell scott (laughs) uh yes yeah yeah okay this is an idea we've been we've been kicking around we're not directly competing with string joy um but in in the next several weeks you will start to see some stuff roll out uh with basically it's a string company it's an american-made string um and it's going to be basically like a subscription service. So the mm. idea is you sign up, you pick your string gauges, you pick how many bo- sets you want per month, and then they just show up in your mailbox. Um, That's cool. And we don't have a, we're working on branding and naming and all that stuff. And then we're also going to, so we're going to have that side of it. And then we're also going to have signature strings for, you know, like I'm going to have a set. You're probably going to have a set. Yeah. Um, as long like, as they're pure nickel. Yeah, they'll be whatever you want. Um, cool. The winder we've got is top top notch. Um, Wait. So I got I got my first few sample sets of strings the other day, um, and they're really really good. They're really good. Awesome. So um, 
Yeah, because I've just it was it was an idea that uh, Steve and I have been kicking around for a while, and I'm the type of person like I run out of strings all the time mm-hmm. wh- because I just never think to like oh I got to go buy strings I got to go to the store I got to get strings and so what ends up happening is I'm like oh this guitar needs new strings and I go up to my shelf and I'm like oh I don't have <laughs> I don't have this gauge I don't have yeah I'm like no no and so. It's the perfect solution for someone like me where it's like, this is how we do coffee. We do the Misto box thing. We've been doing mm. it for like four years and every week a bag of coffee just shows up in our mailbox and I was like, man, we should just do this with guitar strings. You can get exactly what you want, how, however many packs you need per month and it's just a recurring subscription and they just show up in your mailbox. That's awesome. And they're think- really good American-made strings um, at a good price. That's gonna be that's gonna be great. We'll come up with a good name. Yeah, yeah. That's I already have some ideas. I, I'm not gonna I do say need anything a name right now. <laughs> we need a name because the idea with the company is it'll start with with strings, and then we'll move into like other guitar products, accessories, things like that. So, yeah. Um, but we're starting with with strings. So cool. Well, that's exciting. Yep. Well, end on a high note. End on a high note. Oh, dipped in tone live. We forgot to plug it at the beginning of the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sweetwater Gear Fest. We are going to be live streaming it. So if you can't make it to Gear Fest, do not worry. We're going to be live streaming it, I believe, on my YouTube channel, uh, on yeah. the main channel. Um, so be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And uh, that'll be at the end of June. Still working out dates and times, but we will announce that. So if you're near the Fort Wayne, Indiana area, um, we will have more details about how you can attend the first ever Dipped in Tone live show. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, we need to, we need to get some shirts or something. Be shirts, selling, man. Selling them out of the trunk. I'm, I'm not. I don't think Sweetwater <laughs> be like, hey, you, can we set up our merch booth? <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone.